You know, when you look at that sort of uh, video and you look at how quickly time has flown, you realize, man, there's so many things that have happened in this last 20 years. And, you know, there are things sometimes you do that you don't even think about. Uh, about 20 years ago, uh, my wife and I were on a game show. And we were sitting in a, a, a dinner, uh, and, and it was a couple of uh, couples from Ambassador Church, and we were just kind of talking about different things, living in L.A., and one of the men, uh, members uh, brought up, oh, I would love to be uh, on television. And I said, guess what? We were on television. Actually, I was on television twice. We were on Family Feud, and then we were on this show called Shop Till You Drop. Look at me over there. That was 20 years ago. And it's funny because when you look at that, it just reminds you how quickly time has flown. And 20 years ago is when we started this church. And we started as a small little group uh, at EV Free Fullerton. I was on staff there as the outreach pastor. And I remember having this vision. What if the church can become a, a training ground for future leaders? And so I gathered five uh, Talbot students, and, and that became the formation of, of our church. But one of the things about the reality of, of change is this, that, that Christianity, the landscape of Christianity has changed. Here's an interesting statistic for 2020. Did you know that in 1910, that the majority of Christians were actually in Europe? By, in 1910, the United Kingdom had more Christians than the Middle East, Africa, and Asia combined. Two-thirds of Christians lived in Europe. And you think about this, that less than 5% of Christians lived in Asia. Slightly more than 2% lived in Africa or the Middle East. By 2010, the landscape has radically changed. Uh, Pew Research found that out of the 10 nations that were represented that had the top Christian population, nations like Brazil, Mexico, Russia, Philippines, Nigeria, there was only one country in a Europe, from the European continent, and that was Germany at number nine. Year 2020 now. Fast forward to the present. According to this uh, latest research, there will be no European nation that will be among the top 10 nations in population of Christians. In other words, the top three are the U.S., Brazil, and China. There will be more Christians in China than almost any place in the world uh, around us. Nigeria will have more Christians than Spain and France put together. And so one of the things that you see is this global landscape that is changing. Christianity is not a European religion. It is becoming the faith of all the different nations. And when we started Ambassador 20 years ago, we realized that God was doing something amazing. That we were planning a church, not that looks like the present day reality, but that looks like the kingdom of God. You know, I think for many of us, when we think about church, we, a lot of us come to church for some of these reasons. And if you were to sort of fill in the blank, why do you come to church? I think for some of us, we would say, we come to church out of tradition. We've always done it this way, especially growing up in America. Uh, sort of the, the label of, of, of church is like, oh, uh, America is a Christian nation. That's why we go to church. But tradition is not enough anymore. There are a lot of people that are, have, have sort of uh, seen the church as something that is too, too traditional and irrelevant. 
Some of us have come to church out of sense of responsibility. And many of us who have grown up in the church, we have been instilled with this value that it's good to be at church on Sunday. And so that responsibility sort of feeds into this idea of guilt, that we feel guilty if we don't come to church. But again, in our culture, guilt is not the strongest motivator for coming to church. For some of us, we come to church out of social reasons. This is where our friends are at. This is where we have fellowship with each other. We join a small group. And and while there is nothing wrong with coming to church out of social reasons, one of the things that we see is that the church is not just a place for that anymore. That we find our friends outside of the local congregation. But you see, one of the growing changes that's happening in America as well as globally is this, that while we are technologically much more advanced than any other period in in history, we are also the most isolated groups of people. While technology is supposed to bring us together, technology in some ways has created this sense of isolationism. There are other cultural factors that sort of shape the mindset of, of modern-day people. Uh, According to Cornell University, they uh, uh, have 10 specific changes that have taken place in our world today that has created this sense of segregation and separation. One is that father's vocation choices have removed them from the home where the fathers are now traveling all the time and again kids are being raised not by their parents but by someone else there's an increase of number of working mothers and so both the father and the mother are outside the home there's a critical escalation of the divorce rate that majority of people living in america outside of the church are growing up in homes with two separate families There's a slowly uh, decline of the extended family where many of us from different cultures have grown up with this idea of extended family. Now our, our family, this nuclear family, has literally exploded. And now we are a family fallen apart. Even the evolution of the physical environment has changed. If you think about your homes, we are all segregated by our rooms. We got the family room, we got the kitchen, and all the kids' bedrooms become isolated with each other. And on and on we see segregation and isolation happening. The last thing I think is is the most important is that technology, rather than bringing us together, has often created a a culture in which we are apart. And here's the reality of isolationism, that isolationism creates anxiety. That when we are separate from each other, that that we have no sense of community, and we have no sense of unity. And as a result, we become more anxious. We become more depressed. We become more despondent. And I believe this is one of the reasons that God has called us as a church, to give people a sense of understanding what true community looks like. When we started Ambassador 20 years ago, we had this vision of creating a family that would represent all nationalities, that would represent all people, and that we would not be a community that was just inclusive amongst ourselves, that we would be a family that would extend beyond us to reach others, to live missionally. And then we also had this unique vision of being a multiplying church. We began with, with five interns from Talbot. Those five interns eventually all went out and, and began to plant churches. And in the last 20 years, we've, we've ha- our, had our hand in seeing about 12 different churches being launched across the country as well as across the world. And so there's some exciting things that God is doing. God has done in the last 20 years, and we believe that God will do in the next 20 years. So the question for us is, what is the church? 
Is a church where we just come on Sunday, hear a message, sing a song, and go home? Is the church something more than that? Uh, I want to give you sort of our metaphor for existence. There are three metaphors that the Bible gives to us that kind of helps us understand in our modern day culture what the church should be. Number one, the first metaphor that Jesus gives is that the church is a hospital. Now, for many of you who are in the medical profession, uh, you, you, when you think about a hospital, you think of somebody who is sick, uh, a place to get them better. Jesus uses the same analogy. He gathers a bunch of, uh, of sinners together, tax collectors, at the house of Matthew, Levi. And one of the Pharisees says, how can you uh, be with these sinners? And Jesus said, it is not the, the healthy that need a doctor, it is the sick. And that really gives us sort of a new vision of what the church is, that we are all sick people, that we are all broken people. We are all in need of, of, of some healing. And the church becomes a place in which our souls are healed for the kingdom of God. And so we see that the church is a great metaphor, a uh, hospital is a great metaphor for the church. But there's a second metaphor that the Bible gives, that the church is also a health club. Uh, if you haven't made your New Year's resolution yet, most of us, when we make our resolution, we begin, number one, we want to get healthy. We want to lose weight. And what do we do? We join a health club. Every year, I, I, I re-up on my health club, and I pay the same amount, and I never go. And that's the reality for many of us. But here's the thing about spiritual health, is that the church is a place in which we get healthy. Not only is it a hospital, but it's also a spiritual health club. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I love the analogy of athletics. He says, do you not know that all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do, we work so that we can get a crown that will last forever. The church is a place in which our spiritual souls are developed or our spiritual disciplines are nurtured, that we become spiritually healthy, that this is a place not only is it for the sick, but also for those who are well and get stronger in our well-being. But there's a third analogy that I think is probably the most powerful analogy that the Bible gives, especially in a world where there's broken homes, where people don't know who their mother or their father may be. The third analogy that, that Paul gives is, is the analogy of the home, that the church is our home. He says this in 1 Timothy 3.15. He says, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, the foundation of the truth. That the church is God's household. You know, one of the number one analogies that the Bible gives is that in terms of relationships in the church, it changes the whole dynamic of how we deal with each other. We're not strangers, but we are part of the family of God, that you and I are brothers and sisters, are mothers and fathers. We are connected together, not by a physical lineage, but by a spiritual lineage. The blood of Christ runs through our veins that we are one family. And I think if there's one thing that cures the sense of despondency and isolationism in our culture is a reality of what the church should be and can be. It's a place in which we nurture and help and support one another. That's the beautiful part of what the church is. It's a hospital, it's a health club, it's a home, but you know what? We also have a message that's eternal. 
And I think that the thing I, I, I love about the church is that God has given us a message that transforms. We call that the gospel. So in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul says this, that, that he has been entrusted with the gospel of God. And that gospel is Jesus died, Jesus came, died, and rose again on the third day. That Christ himself is the bearer of that good news. He is the good news. But that good news gives us three things. It gives us three eternal uh, things that, that, that are gifts that will last forever. And those things are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, 14, where Paul says this, that there are three things that are eternal. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But what's remarkable is that Christ is the only one that can actually supply faith, hope, and love. See, every person in every culture has these three needs. They have a need to believe in something. They have a need to belong to someone or become somebody. And they have a desire to belong. And the three things that the gospel does to us is it, it, it answers those three questions. For example, the gospel gives us a message of faith. It helps us to understand that there is something to believe in. If you ask somebody, what do you believe in? Everybody believes in something. So faith is not just a matter of belief, but it's also who do you believe in. Jesus says that he is the eternal son of God. And by believing in him that we have eternal life, everybody wants to believe in something. And Jesus is the only one that could give us something that is eternal in our belief. But there's a second thing, is that the Bible gives us, the message of the gospel gives us hope. And the great thing about the gospel is this, that it helps us to become someone. It has to have hope for the future. And here's the power of hope. That when you have hope, it transforms you. It helps you deal with the present for the future. See, hope is a future orientation, isn't it? The gospel gives us not only hope for the present, but hope for all of eternity. How important is hope? There was an interesting story many years ago about a, a town in New England. And this town was sitting on this area in which they were going to build a hydroelectric dam. And this town was one of the most beautiful little pristine towns. It was very well kept. Everybody had their little homes. Everybody tended to their garden. And you walked inside. It was a beautiful community. But these people were notified that they were going to build a dam and that time was going to be wiped out. During the two years while the dam was being built, an interesting thing happened. That the town that once was pristine and beautiful became now in disarray. It became nobody took care of their lawn. Nobody took care of their house anymore. Because they knew that their future reality was destruction. When there is no hope, there's only despondency. Where there is no hope, there's only distress and discouragement. What the message of the gospel gives to us is the message of hope. No matter how difficult how challenging, how disastrous our life may be, that the gospel provides hope for the future. And that's what the message of ambassador has always been, that we want to proclaim Christ so that we have faith, we have hope, but there's one last thing that separates Christianity from every other belief system, and that is simply this, that we are people of love. That what Jesus brings to us is something that is so transformative that we become people that actually care for one another. 
The message of love is the message of belonging. And I think if there's anything that our world craves for, it's to belong. Even those who join gangs want to belong. Because a sense of belonging helps us create a sense of identity. And Jesus said this in John 13, 34, a new command I give to you. A new command I leave to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, the mark of a Christian. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You know what the church is a place of? A church is the place in which love can be expressed. That not only do we love one another, but we love those who are outside of the family of faith. That we love the unlovely. There's one last thing. Not only does he give us these beautiful metaphor, not only does he give us a message of the gospel that is displayed in faith, hope, and love, lastly, he gives us a mission. And this mission is found in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says this, that we are the ones who bear, that therefore we are Christ's ambassador. As if God were making his message through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul has this interesting word. He says that we are called to be ambassadors. Now, for those of us who grew up in, in the West Coast, we may not really have this understanding of what an ambassador is. But when we first planted um, uh, the church, actually my first church plant was in Washington, D.C., about 25 years ago. And I remember um, I had just left an immigrant church, and we were starting 25 years ago this, this vision of what the church can look like, this kingdom of God church. And as I was driving up uh, the area in Washington, D.C., there was a place called uh, DuPont Circle. And in DuPont Circle, they had all these different flags of the, all these different embassies that were representing different countries. And a thought struck me. What if the church is the embassy of God? What if the church, the flag that we bear, the gospel that we bear, is to express, to demonstrate to people around us that we are the ones to represent Christ to our culture? And so we, when I first planted Ambassador Church in Washington, D.C., we began with that vision. But I realized that, that the word ambassador was not only for D.C., it was also for here as well, that all of us are to represent Christ. And that the message of the, uh, of, of the gospel is simply this, or the mission of the gospel is that we are to represent Christ no matter where we are. Whether you are in the marketplace, whether you are in an academic world, whether you're a student, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a pastor, all of us are to bear this message of being an ambassador. But we realize one thing that makes us unique as a church, not only are we multi-ethnic, not only are we living missionally, but we also recognize we are multiplying. That the Great Commission, uh, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, the word there, all nations, is the word ethnos. That the way in which we are to reach people is through the multiplication of discipleship, the multiplication of planting churches. So in the last uh, 20 years, we've been able to help people plant churches. But in the last two years, something miraculous happened. We were meeting in this place. We had two services. And I remember we were praying, God, where do you want us to go next? And one day we received a call from, from Sunkiss. Bob Curley was one of the elders back then. And we had got a call from them and saying, would you consider the possibility of bringing our churches together? 
two years ago, God enlarged our vision to become not just one church with two services, but now a church with two different campuses. Two years ago, we uh, went to Anaheim and we stayed here in Brea. And so as we launch for the next 10, 20 years, what kind of church do we envision? We want to be what we call a multi-congregational church. We want to plant churches not only here in Brea and Anaheim, but all across the U.S., all across the world, that the message of the gospel could be proclaimed to all people. I don't think we're the only church that is doing this. And I don't think we're the, we're the most special church, but I know what we are as a church is that God has given us a unique fingerprint for our culture. At 20 years ago, we had the vision of being a church for all people because here was the reality, the kingdom church that we look at in the book of Revelation is the church of all nations, all tribes, all languages. And if there's any glimpse of what heaven should look like, it should be the church. So we envision a church in which we will look more like heaven than on earth. 